Seems a little sad to have to say this is the last time, but I mean, it's only 46 verses, okay? It's probably time we find a way to land this series. I hope you'll remember that in our English Bibles, the T books are organized together. Helps you, all right? First and second Timothy, first, first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. Right there together. I have to sing the ABC song, all right? Uh, one of these days I ought to teach you the song so you can do it like you do when you go to the dictionary. You can find your way around. The book of Titus, 46 verses. You know, when we looked at this, we thought, okay, so what do we do with that, those last verses beginning in verse 12? I mean, it's only Paul talking about his relationships, and we don't know much about those relationships. So maybe we should just let it conclude there. But I want to challenge you this morning. It, it'll be a fun thing for you to do, to look at the end of the letters and see how Paul interacted, greeted each other, what they said to each other about their relationships. Some great insight can come when you just take a peek into who was involved in leading those New Testament churches. Remember we said that the book of Titus is about a healthy church. It talks about healthy doctrine. It talks about healthy living. It talks about healthy works. All of these things go together, and that word is health, hygiene, we get from this word. It talks about sound teaching, sound living. And now today we come to the end, and we look at these relationships, and it's only four verses, but I want us to take a moment and, and read them together, okay? Personal things. Listen to what he says. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me in Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. If you look at a map, you'll see that there were quite a few cities called Nicopolis. And if you want a little bit of trivia, it comes from Nike Polis, all right? It's a victory city. And, and so the one that they think he was talking about, if he wanted to spend the winter, was in a nice warm place on the coast. And he said, do your best to come to, to Nicopolis. I've decided to spend the winter there. Paul loved Titus. He wanted to see him. He wanted to spend some time together. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help causes of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's ask God to be our teacher. Father, we open the book now with great reverence. We know that you gave it to us. And we're amazed that not only was it inspired, but it was protected. Somehow, you were able to keep and preserve and transmit and pass on copies of this book. So many generations, so many places never saw a copy of Scripture, and yet we have so many to choose from. Lord, forgive us for being lazy and presumptuous when it comes to your Word. We open it now, Holy Spirit. We have welcomed you. We invite you to be our teacher. And we pray now that as we look into this book, that you would write it upon the pages of our heart 
and that we would respond to your calling, to your teaching, to your instruction, to your love, to your grace. So we open our lives and we pray, Lord God, speak to my heart. Would you pray that aloud with me? Lord God, speak to my heart. And Lord, as you speak, we'll know that it's you. We listen now for your voice, ready to do whatever you say, because we trust you. And we know that you would never lead us but for our good and for your glory. So speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want us to list together seven things about kingdom relationships that we see in these verses. First I want you to notice that God uses the unknown and the well-known to accomplish his work. We are in a pretty high-profile culture. We, we like to have people we can follow and model after. We're always looking for heroes, and sometimes I'll tell KK, we'll be watching some program, and I'll go, oh, man, I long for the day when, when heroes didn't do that, you know? I mean, because it seems like almost in everyone's life, in everyone's episode, you find something that, you know, puts cross-culture to what we know and believe that, about God's design. When you look at these people, there's some unknown and some well-known leaders in the church right here. And it's really about half and half. Uh, let's take a second and peek. Uh, when I send Artemis Articacus to you, you say, I don't know either one of those guys. Well, if you do a complete search about Artemis, you'll find nothing. <laughs> okay? We know absolutely nothing about him. But if you look at Tychicus, well, you'll find he was pretty well known. And you'll see some things about him and the churches. And you see Zenos the lawyer. I, I just have to go ahead and make a lawyer joke. It's so good that there's one lawyer in the Bible, right? I mean, we can talk about one saved lawyer. I used to always pick on the lawyers in our church. And we, we had this little thing where we told our favorite lawyer joke, you know? Uh, and so I've, people have favorite preacher jokes probably, but I've got favorite lawyer jokes. I think the one I, I liked the most was this couple strolling around in a graveyard in Great Britain reading all the things written on the graves. And the guy said, look, it says, here lies a lawyer and an honest man. And his wife said, when did they start putting two in the same hole, you know? Uh, oh, come on. That's, that's my favorite lawyer joke, all right? I could tell you some more, but obviously you don't like lawyer jokes. So let's, let's keep going here. He says, Zenos the lawyer, okay? So there's this lawyer. What do we know about Zenos the lawyer? We know that he was a lawyer. That's all we know. And if you read, you're going to find about half and half. He could have been a Roman jurist, or he could have been a, an expert in, in the legal teaching of Judaism. We don't know. But there's the known and there's the unknown. What about Apollos? Wow. You read about Apollos, he probably was the best orator in the New Testament. You say, I thought that was Paul. Now, some think Paul was pretty boring, actually, you know. But he knew his stuff. And people that wanted to learn listened to him because he could teach them and ground them. But Apollos, man, when he spoke Everybody listened. It was electrifying. And you know, if you read in, in the Corinthian letter, you'll see that some will say, I'm Apollos. Some, some say, I'm Apollos. If Paul had been childlike, 
He would have been jealous of Apollos. But instead, he is sending him. And he's sending him because he cares about the people of God and he understands that God uses the known and the unknown. And the second thing I want us to see when we see that, these two that we know and these two that we don't know, is that there was a team approach to ministry. If I could somehow write this on your heart, God uses different people at different times for different purposes. God delights in that. He delights in the gifts in the body. He delights in the differences of our personalities. He delights in our skills. He delights in our backgrounds and our problems and our experiences. And he uses everything about us for his glory if we'll let him. These people were sent-like. They were missionary-like. You know, one thing that you may not know about missionaries is that they're not all on the front line, going door-to-door witnessing and teaching pastors every day. If you could go to the mission field today and do a little survey of who's there, you'll find that probably half of them or more have very practical, functional skills that they're using to either establish a way to stay in a country because they're providing value so that they can share Christ, so they're able to work at hospitals and do practical things like my friend who's a, a pilot in Bangladesh, and he is flying in, in that part of the world through Missionary Aviation Fellowship. They don't allow missionaries, but they allow Missionary Aviation Fellowship because his flying that plane, the things he's able to do to serve people. If you could just see that your skill and gift that God has given you is to be laid on the altar in such a way that he could use your life in every way possible and it's up to him to decide and assign the destination where you use that skill and that gift. KK and I have developed a close friendship with a nurse in Southeast Asia in a hospital where they won't allow missionaries in the country but she's serving there in this outpost where Almost no medical care is available. And as we talk to her, she talks about the people in the business office. And she talks about the people that are working to keep the machines and the things running. And she talks about how so many of them have either had to go home because of cancer or home because of family issues. And it seems like every time we talk, she's praying that God would raise up somebody to come and help serve in that hospital not medical workers, but people who can be there to help facilitate the work. I just wish today that we could see that God wants 100% of us to report for duty and say, Lord, every skill, every gift, everything I have is yours. Just assign me where to use it. And don't think that there are the spiritual and the mundane. No, there's the people of God all of which are being used by God with different people at different times for different purposes. And it takes a team. God delights in teaming. And when you're threatened by somebody else doing better than you, you're proving that you've lost kingdom perspective. 
but when you delight in God using others different than you, then you're growing in kingdom perspective. It seems like a lot of my friends are old. You know? You go to a class reunion and a bunch of old people there, right? One of the things I'm noticing as I look at my friends, quite a few of them are retiring from pastorates. And I really liked what one friend posted on Facebook this week. He said, if you are a former pastor, stay out of the affairs of the church where you led, because if God wanted your opinion, he'd have left you there. But he moved you. What about a kingdom perspective? The churches where I've pastored and then later I've moved on, I've said to them, you're going to think that I don't like you because I'm going to stay out of it. I'm, I'm not going to let you come to me and try to get me somehow back talking to me to get me to help undermine the pastor that follows me. Look at Paul's perspective. Look at what he's saying to Titus. He's saying to Titus, look, you're going to move on. And, and when you move on, you need to see that there's going to be others who are going to come. And God's going to use them in incredible ways. Do you get that when you just notice those relationships right there at the end? Here's the third thing I see about these kingdom relationships. God uses the known, the unknown, and the well-known. He uses a team approach, but he values faithful, humble servants. That's not who's valued in our culture. We value show-offs, bullies, demanding, but God values faithful, humble servants. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, I just get that in looking at Tychicus. It's almost fun to say his name, Tychicus, all right? I don't know, maybe you went by Ty. I don't know, surely he had a nickname, right? But when you look at this guy, Tychicus, and you read about how God used him, but you read about where God used him, Paul said, Titus, you've done a good job getting everything prepared, and maybe he's going to be one of the ones that comes in and takes over. But look at what we know about Tychicus. It was a traveling companion. We saw that in the book of Acts. But did you know if you read the book of Ephesians and you read the book of Colossians, they were probably delivered about the same time? And most people believe that the messenger who carried the books and delivered the letters to them was Tychicus. And look at what was said about him at the end of Ephesians and the end of Colossians. It says, Tychicus, the beloved brother, faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. If you're, if you're wondering what's going on with me, he's going to come and explain to you what's going on with us. Or in Colossians, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I almost wish that the ESV didn't use the word minister here. Because when it does, you instantly go to professional. Well, first of all, you do understand that every believer is called to the ministry, don't you? At least shake your head like this and pretend you know that, all right? Every believer is called to the ministry. Every believer is called to be a representative of Christ. Every believer, not just the professional, the paid but every believer's call. This word minister here, I believe, 
I'm sure Lynn probably has. I didn't check it, Lynn. I just went by memory. I'm sure Lynn probably has his uh, Bible dictionary open right there as he's studying. I think probably diakonos. And it, it's, it's word servant, okay? And so the servant is used there, and the servant is used in Colossians. Faithful minister, fellow servant. Here the word servant, I think it's doulos, bond servant. But we're talking about people who are not le- looking to be leaders, but looking to be servants. That's who leaders are. And the value that is put on leaders and people in kingdom relationships is they are faithful. Could that be said about you? You're faithful. Does keeping your word matter? Does doing what you say you're going to do, does it matter? Does following through matter? Do people think they can entrust you with something and it's going to work? Faithful. Oh, what a high word of praise that you're faithful, that you do what you say you're going to do. Faithful, humble servants. What a high calling. Jesus said, oh, those Gentiles, they like to lord it over people, but not so with you. If you want to be great in my kingdom, Jesus said, learn to be the servant of all. Kingdom relationships, the unknown, the well-known, the team approach of faithful, humble servants. But when I read these verses, I not only notice those things, but I notice this. Paul challenges them that the kingdom relationship should move them to be investing in gospel movements. Something inside of them should want to give and participate in helping the gospel go forward. Hey, it's no accident that we pray for other churches when we gather on Sunday. Are we going to do it every single Sunday until Jesus comes? I don't know. I can't promise that. But we, at least in this season, have been trying to model for you that the kingdom of God is bigger than Shalford. And wanting the work of God to take place in other places is a good way to think and the right way to function, that we want God to bless other churches as much or more than he blesses us because we believe that the gospel needs to go forward. How do you get that out of these verses? Well, look at it. When I send, we could just stop right there and talk about we're all sent ones and we've been sent by God to serve his church and his world. And the church itself is involved in sending others where we move them out for the gospel. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me in Nicopolis. I've decided to spend the winter there. And do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. Boy, that's big. Speed them on their way and see that they lack nothing. Meet their practical needs. I think many of you know that I've spent many years in missionary mobilization, trying to get churches to be involved in missions. And most international missionaries that I know will say to you, hey, don't love me, love the people I serve. And I say to them, that sounds spiritual, but it just doesn't work that way. If you let me love you, 
then you can teach me to love the people you serve. So part of the high calling on a church is that if you are not a sent one missionary, you are a sender. You help them do their work. You hook your lives to them. You facilitate them so that when they go, in a sense, you're going. And you put your heart on their train and they take it somewhere else. That's part of the sending mentality that Paul was trying to press on Titus and Titus to press on the church on the Isle of Crete that they were to speed them on their way and meet their practical needs. So, notice how these kingdom relationships in these few short verses challenge us to invest in gospel movements. In a moment, you're going to see he talks about not only globally, but he talks about locally. But let's let it sink in for a minute. If you're kingdom thinking, if you have kingdom perspective, you want to do all that you can to give so the gospel can go. You should delight in that. Here's the next kingdom principle that I see in here. Paul understood and wanted Titus to understand that discipleship is more than education. I've watched it over the last 30 years in the church. Anytime you have teaching a class of any kind, you call it a discipleship class. There's only one problem with that. Learning facts is not being discipled. Learning stuff is not being discipled. Becoming a well-educated Christian does not make you a genuine disciple and follower of Jesus. What does? Doing what you've learned. That's what does. How long have you been a follower of Christ? How many years, I wonder? Five, ten, twenty, thirty, longer? Do you know that your maturity as a believer is not based on how long you've been following Christ, but how much you have obeyed Christ. I've met a whole lot of people who've been followers of Christ for 30 years, and they're one year old. They're still little babies. They still want you to feed them little spoonfuls of milk and pat them on the back and burp them. <laughs> they don't know how to handle the strong meat of the word. They don't know how to handle the building of muscles of putting it into action. Now, where am I getting that? I'm getting it from this verse 14. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Let them learn to devote. That word learn there has in its root the word disciple. If you're going to make disciples, they learn the stuff, but they do the stuff they learn. And that's how they validate and become fruitful disciples. Let our people learn to devote themselves, to devote. It's not an accident. Whoops, I just did a good work. Gee, where'd that come from? No, it's a lifestyle. It's a development of looking for ways to be fruitful Investing in gospel movements, understanding discipleship is more than education, and expecting everyone to be meeting the needs of others. 
I went to seminary with a guy who was from California. And he said, I'm going to be going back to California to start a church in an area of greater L.A. that doesn't have a church. And so I started praying for Joe. Also went to seminary with another guy that was going to go to the greater L.A. area and start a church. So I started praying for Rick. You probably heard of Rick Warren. Uh, we were in seminary at the same time. I knew Rick Warren before he was Rick Warren, okay? And he went out to California and started that church. But you've probably never heard of Joe. Joe went about the same time. Didn't grow to be the same size of church, but a very healthy, multiplying church planted by Joe. And I'll never forget when we were one day talking about his philosophy of ministry after he'd been there just five years or so. He said, you know, Everybody's heard of agape love, but I'm teaching my people fanafi love. I said, what? He said, well, it's not a Greek word. It's a word I made up. It's uh, find a need and fill it. He said, we're just, we're just looking. Where are people hurting? Where are their needs? Who are you working with that's got something going on in their life that's challenging? Who's suffering with a loved one sick or with a loved one who's in deep sin? And when you see it, does it just roll off your back like water on a duck? Or does it call something out of your heart that says, hey, here's an opportunity for me to get involved. Look at it. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Do you see urgent needs? Do they move you into action? Are you fruitful? That is, are you doing what you were designed to do? Are you using your skill and your gift to Take an opportunity to show the love of Jesus and share the love of Jesus. Are you finding needs and meeting them? Are you finding needs and filling them with the presence of God? All the kingdom relationships. Not only are they looking for ways to send the gospel somewhere else, they're looking for ways to live the gospel where they are. Then we come to the very end of the book and the kingdom principle that I see is we look for ways to encourage each other with love and grace. Look at the verse. All who are with me send greetings to you. You know, we don't, we don't talk too much about Greeting one another. We went this past Friday down to Clarkston, Georgia. There's some men in the room who will tell you about an Afghani family we met. A new family that's been relocated here. And 
only the teenage daughter speaks English. And so it's a little awkward to walk in the room and try to figure out even how to say hello. But I watched KK go into action because there were so many women in the group. And I think she was trying to figure out, do we kiss three times or two times, you know? You know, it was three. And you don't just say hello. If you're really going to do it right, you've got to go around and kiss everybody, you know? And there's a right way to greet them. I'll never forget one day I was teaching a group of pastors in Kenya, and we finally had it going well, and this one guy gets there late. And he goes around the room and shakes everybody's hand. And I'm just thinking, would you just sit down? Come on, man, I'm trying to preach here, you know? But no, he, he didn't want to be rude. He had to go greet everybody. Well, these greetings that Paul's talking about, it, it made something come to Titus's mind. Walk in the room and it's like, yes, I see you. I welcome you into my life. I know who you are. I want to be part of who you are. Now imagine Titus, he's there on the island dealing with all kinds of problems and he gets this letter from Paul. All who are with me greet you. <laughs> all of a sudden he had to think, yeah, I'm not alone, am I? You know, sometimes one of the best things you can do is Lift your eyes and see where Christians are other places. See that you're not the only follower of Christ. See that you're not the only one trying to do this. And see that there are people in a whole lot worse circumstances than you. Those who are with me greet you, Titus. Greet those who love us in the faith. <laughs> Makes me always want to chuckle. Don't bother with those that don't love us. I mean, we just read about the guy who's causing trouble, right? I don't know if, if Titus thought that was, you know, like funny or, or if, he, if there was something that I'm missing there. And then he ends, grace be with you all. Have you ever looked to see how Paul begins and ends his letters? Just go look at it. In the beginning, sometimes you'll see grace and mercy. Sometimes you'll see grace, peace and mercy. You'll, you'll see it, but he always ends. It may not be the last word, but he always ends right at the end of his letters. Grace be with you. Why? Well, he didn't write the hymn, but it was written on his heart. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a guy that persecuted the church and tried to wipe it out like me. Paul knew the power of grace in his life. And he wanted it to be evident in them. When Titus read this, he knew he was part of a big loving family. And he knew he was part of people who understood the need for God's grace. So as we put this into practice, I want to ask you, just willingly, you say, ask God to be your teacher, just willingly listen for just a moment and see how these questions move in your heart. 
Am I learning? Remember we said disciples are those who are learning and doing what they're learning. Am I learning that every skill, opportunity, and relationship that I have is a gift from God? Recently, I got in a little debate with my 16-year-old grandson. I hope you don't watch this, Eli. But uh, I was debating with him coming back from school, and he was saying, you know, I'm just convinced that everybody can do anything they want, and it's not limited. I said, well, that's almost true, Eli. That's, that's almost true. But you will never be a pro athlete just because you want to be. Because you're just not that athletic. I mean, you, you're not going to dunk the ball. Don't tell me you can be an NBA star. You can't. You don't have that skill. Well, let me tell you, I will never be as smart as you are. He's in college, and he's like supposed to be in the 10th grade. You know, he's, I mean, the kid's just brilliant. And I was trying to help him see. And all that brilliance, God gave you that. And now you are a steward of it because God gave it to you. If you look at these guys, four, two known, two unknown, it reminds you that it is God who has skilled you and given you opportunity and relationships and they're gifts from him, not for us to sit on, but for us to deploy in the work of his kingdom. Are you learning that? Are you learning that all that you have really belongs to God? You know, there's great delight in having stuff, but there's even more delight in giving it away. I know some people say, you know, I wish God would just let me make a whole lot of money so I didn't have to work and I could just give it all away. <laughs> it, Quit spending your life that way. It's just not going to work that way. Learn how to give with what you have. Learn the delight in giving him the first 10%, saying, I'm depending on you. And learn the delight in saying, the other 90% is not mine either, Lord. How do you want me to use it? Oh, there's great delight in knowing that all you have belongs to God. Where'd you get that, Pastor? I got it in him telling them, meet their needs. Send them on their way. And when you see a need, find a way to fill it. All that we have belongs to God. And when we have opportunities, he's trying to move us to see them as opportunities to serve. And am I learning to encourage others in the love and grace of God's family so that I can live sent? You know the great thing about preaching is I don't have to know what's going on in your life. I just have to try to figure out a way to get God's word in your lap, through your ears, into your heart, and let the one who knows you completely talk to you about what you need the most. A moment ago, you asked him to be your teacher. Is he speaking to you now? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And even these seemingly 
easy to pass over kind of verses that remind us that you use the known and the unknown people in the kingdom with a team approach, delighting in each other, knowing that you use different people at different times for different purposes. Lord, help us see ways to be part of moving the gospel. Help us see ways of meeting needs in others. Lord, help us see how we can put our life on the altar and ask you to use everything about us. So this is our prayer. As we respond to your word in Jesus' name. Amen.